Amen. Thank you for that good singing. Take your Bible tonight and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Would you? Romans chapter 10 in the Word of God. I want to thank you as you're turning in the Bible to Romans chapter 10 for a wonderful, wonderful week. From the crabs on Saturday night, somebody took me a place and I had soft crab. That was really good. And uh, boy, after Pastor was talking about stealing hubcaps, I'd never done that, but that sounds fun. So <clears throat> maybe next time we can do that. But um, I just, uh, I want to say it's just been great to be here. We just had such a wonderful time. Your pastor and I are two peas in a pod, and I thank God for the sweet, sweet spirit, sweet fellowship that we've enjoyed, the, the, the kindred, kindred heart, kindred spirit for the things of God. I thank, thank the Lord for it, and it's just been, it's filled my cup. I appreciate his love for Jesus and his zeal. And his leadership here and how God has given him a congregation with one heart and one mind to follow the Lord. Such a blessing. And it's obvious. I want to thank you for your hospitality. The place to stay was just, just super. And uh, your kindness in different ways has been a blessing. Pastor took me to Bass Pro Shop yesterday and took me to get some ties today. And, and I want to just thank the Lord for that. And, and uh, Miss Shiflett, thank you for the good meals that you provide. It's just been great. Just uh, really, really appreciate it. But most of all, I want to thank you for coming each night and showing up to hear the word of God and then to sing, singing the house down and singing with all your might and, and uh, preparing your heart to seek the Lord has been such a refreshing blessing to this preacher. And I can't wait to come back sometime and have my family introduce you to them and them to you and see what God is doing right here in this part of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, preacher, for the good testimony. What an encouragement. How many of you were blessed by that tonight? That was such a blessing. And I thank you for, for talking about how God is a God of right now. He's a God of yesterday. I always love to see what God's done in the last 10 or 15 or whatever years, but I sure like to hear what he did yesterday and what he's doing today and what he's doing right now. And I just praise the Lord for it and am encouraged by it. And I want to let you know that I'm going to be praying for you. You pray for me. I'm going to head back home tomorrow. And then we start up in Rhode Island in just a little while and out to Indiana and up to Minnesota. We're going to have a tent meeting, Lord willing, in Andover, Minnesota coming up. And so we need God's people to pray and I'll keep your pastor posted as to what the Lord is doing. But it's just been a great joy and a blessing to me to be here and to fellowship with you and to meet some new friends in the Lord. And I'm excited about how he's going to work. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to open up the Bible night after night in this place. Thank you for this lighthouse that you've put right here in Dundalk. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the good word that is being preached on a regular basis and for the way it's being proclaimed. And Lord, for the people that are consecrating themselves afresh and anew to the word of God. Thank you for that. And I pray that tonight, those who know you as Savior would be greatly encouraged. Lord Jesus, I pray that those who don't know you as Savior would be saved. Help them to understand the gospel, to realize where they stand before you. And I pray that tonight they'd be born again. Lord, we're going to thank you and praise you for what you do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way the word of God has been glorified this week. And we pray that it would have a lasting impact for weeks and months to come. Spark a revival right here. Continue what you've already done and send a great awakening to this part of the world. I pray in Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. The songwriter wrote, do you know that you've been born again? 
Do you know that you've been born again? Does the spirit bear within the witness from within that your sins are washed away? Do you know that you've been born again? Now, I want to answer that question in the affirmative for me personally. I know that I've been born again. Now, I can't answer that for you. I can't answer that you know for sure that you're going to heaven. I can only go based upon what you tell me and what you have come to know through your personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know whether you know for sure you're going to heaven, but I can say with absolute certainty that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, and you can too. I, I want to preach to you on that subject tonight. I know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and you can too. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to Job, would you? Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Now, Job chapter 19 is where uh, I'd like to take our first thought. Job chapter 19 and verse number 25. Did you know the Bible is a book of certainty? It's not a book of wishes. It's not a book of just hopefulness. It's not just a book of, uh, of possibility. It's a book of absolute certainty. Somebody told Billy Sunday that he couldn't be dogmatic. He said that that's ridiculous. He said, you can be dogmatic with the word of God and you can be dogmatic with a lot of things. He would pound the pulpit and he would say, this is a pulpit. He would stomp the foot on the platform and say, this is a platform. He'd take a chair and put it down and say, this is a chair. He said, if you can say that with certainty, then you can say many things that are in the Bible. Everything that is in the Bible is absolute certainty. You don't need to wonder. You don't need to worry. You can be absolutely dogmatic and not worry about being proud. You can be absolutely certain and not worrying about being arrogant. Some people will say, well, those folks over there at, at Calvary Baptist Church, they're proud because they say they know they're going to heaven. Well, if, if we were based it, uh, basing it upon what we do, and if we were basing it upon what we have accomplished, and we were basing it upon what we uh, have said or not said or done or not done, then you would have an argument. You would have an argument to say those folks over there are, are proud because they're saying they know they're going to heaven based upon their good deeds and their good works. But it's not based upon that. Years ago, I was witnessing to a man in a grocery store parking lot in Shelby, North Carolina. I asked him, I said, do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And he said, no. And I followed up and I said, do you think it's possible for someone to know? And he said, no. Now I said, sir... If it were based upon what you and I do or don't do, I would agree with you. I said, but it's not. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done when he died on the cross and was buried and rose again. That's called the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said, when you put your faith and trust in that, that Jesus died, was buried and rose again, and in him, the one who died, was buried and rose again, instantly you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. I want to show you three individuals in the Bible tonight who said with absolute certainty, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, and you can too. The first is found in Job chapter number 19. Job chapter 19, notice please what the Bible says, in Job 19 and verse number 25. Job 19 and verse number 25. This is what he says. He says, for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. 
Now, you, you need to read Job with this understanding, that Job, at the beginning of the book, was the object of discussion in heaven. And the Lord said to Satan, who had to come and give an account to the Lord as to where he'd been, he said, uh, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man that's upright and eschews evil, and, and, and he's righteous. He, he, by the way, God never calls someone righteous in the Bible who had not put their faith in his word and his way of salvation. He never considered you righteous because you were religious or righteous because you were moral or righteous because you were involved in ritual. He never considered that as righteous. The only way you were righteous is if you trusted his word and his way of salvation as the solution to your sin problem. And Job had done that. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He said this to Satan. Satan all said he does that just because you blessed him. Job was a wealthy man. He said, you just blessed him and that's why, he, that's why he loves you. But he said, take away all those blessings and he'll curse you. And the Lord said, all right, you can. So Satan slithered out of the presence of the Lord and he went down to the earth and he, he smote Job and he in one day lost all of his assets, all of his riches and all of his children in one day. That's something nobody here has ever experienced. Uh, I'm sure that all of us could say we've experienced some tragedy or difficulty and maybe tears would well up in our eyes when we said it. But nobody that I know of has ever experienced what Job did in Job chapter 1 and 2. But Job sinned not with his lips nor charged God foolishly. So Satan appeared before the Lord to give an account again and the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? He's a man that eschews evil and he is a righteous man. Oh, he said, that's because you've given him good health. Take away his health and we'll see what he does. And the Lord said, you can, but you can't take his life. And so Satan slithered out of the presence of the Lord. He went down to Job, smote him from head to toe with boils. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a boil, but I have. I have a scar on my right pinky of when I had a boil when I was just a child, one of the most painful things. I can't imagine what it would be like to be covered with boils from head to toe. And the only friend that, that Job had at that time was a piece of broken pottery. He reached down and grabbed that. He'd scrape those boils just to get a little relief from the pain. His wife, who had gone through the same thing Job had, lost all the assets and lost all her children, she said, just curse God and die. He said, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. He said, shall have we not received good and shall we not receive evil? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And again, he charged not, he charged not God foolishly. Well, then Job had some friends show up. And they were pretty good friends for about eight days or so till they opened their mouth. And when they open their mouth, oh my, we get all kinds of mixed up theology. And when you read the book of Job, you need to know that, that sometimes the chapters are Job's friends speaking and giving their un, unthoughtful advice and sometimes unbiblical advice and sometimes unbiblical conclusions about God. And then there'll be a chapter of Job answering those friends. And Job here in Job chapter 19 is answering his friends. He doesn't know a lot of what's going on in his life. I, I don't think at this point he knows exactly that Satan and the Lord had a conversation. I'm not sure at this stage in Job chapter 19 if Job understands that, that the Lord had given Satan permission to smite him and, and, and destroy his assets and take away his children and smite him with boils. I don't know that Job knows that. There's some things that Job doesn't know, but there's one thing Job does know. It's found in verse 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. 
I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now, listen to me carefully. People ask me this question on a regular basis. In fact, I would say it's be right up there with, with why uh, there are good things happen or bad things happen to good people, why they're suffering. It would be probably one of the top five questions that are asked to me on a regular basis. What about someone in a far off corner of the world that has never had a Bible and never had a missionary and never had a church and never had a gospel tract? What about them? If they die without trusting Jesus Christ as their savior, will they go to hell? And the answer is yes. And you said, preacher, why? Because God has given four lights of revelation. He's given the light of creation. The Bible says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. He's given the light of conscience. He says the law is written in their hearts and their conscience bearing them witness while accusing or else excusing. So every man has a conscience, every man, woman, boy, or girl, whether it's the deepest, darkest jungles of Timbuktu or the deepest, darkest jungles of Baltimore. Every man, woman, boy, or girl has a conscience and every man, woman, boy, girl has creation to look up and say there must be a God somebody bigger than me made this and light obeyed increases light light disobeyed increases darkness then God has given the light of of charity and grace because the Bible says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world so God's grace has been shown and God has given a chance and he's shown us charity and then God gives the light of Jesus Christ John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that speaking of Jesus was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world now now, giving gospel tracts out, preaching on the street corner, preaching on YouTube, preaching in a church service, preaching in a tent meeting, going overseas and giving the gospel is a part of God making known his, to his creation his revelation. And so that's why it's so important that we do all of that. But when people ask me, what about somebody in the deepest dark of jungles of somewhere? Do they know for, can they know God? Yes. And you know the first person I show them? Job. We believe Job is the earliest written and recorded book in the Bible. Job did not have a preacher that we know of. He did not have a pastor. He did not have a missionary. He did not have a Bible. He had just a few bits of revelation that God had given him. And yet, these verses contain incredible insight about what he knew about God. That's pretty amazing. So what does he know? Well, he knows, number one, that he's a sinner and needs a redeemer. He says, I know that my redeemer liveth. He knows that he needs a redeemer. The word redeem means to be bought back out of the slave market of sin. And you and I are bound by sin when we're in this world. Uh, they tell us that Oprah a few years ago decided that... Uh, that she's going to have her own religion. She'd grown up in some kind of a, a, of a church that had some semblance of the Bible. And so, but, but she, she rejected all that and gone, went down the way of liberal thinking and, and liberal theology. And she decided to, to, to have her own prophet and her own preacher and make her own religion. And in it, she declared, there's no such thing as sin. <laughs> Do you know what that proves to me? She's never had kids. Anybody that's ever had kids knows there's such a thing as sin. I've got five kids, and all of them are sinners. <laughs> Every one of them. I've never had to teach my children in an in a intense and formal way how to lie. 
They lie naturally. I've never had to teach them how to throw a temper tantrum or be selfish. They come by it naturally. They get it from their mother. No, 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 they don't, no. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, they get it straight from the bloodline of their father. That's where they get it. And, uh, but, but I've never had, I have to teach them how to do right. I have to teach them how to be selfless. I have to teach them how to share. I have to teach them how to be kind and respectful. If I don't teach them, they're just going to naturally bend in a wrong direction. And that's what parenting is. And that's what the Bible teaches a parent to do. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that Job knew he was a sinner. It bound by sin. Not only do we sin, but we, we think sinful things and we, we act in sinful ways and we have sinful motives. And many times we do right for the wrong reasons. Uh, an unsaved person does right for one of two reasons. Either so he can cover his sin or balance it out. And, and, and that's called deception. Or to impress others and that's called pride. And so even... it got. How many here tonight can understand the idea that, that my bad is bad? Are you with me? How many of you understand that? You, you understand, yes, preacher, I understand my bad is bad. My lying and cheating and selfishness and meanness, that's all bad. I mean, I don't think that's too hard for us to understand, an honest person anyway. But do you know, God doesn't just say our bad is bad. God says our good is bad. Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousnesses are as, an un, are, are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. We all are as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That means God doesn't just say my bad is bad. God says my good is bad. In other words, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to God. Jesus said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know how righteous outwardly the Pharisees were? They tithed of everything they possessed, including the spice rack, ladies. The mint and the anise and the cumin. When was the last time somebody here at church tithed of your spice rack? Probably never. They fasted two times a week. Do you fast two times a week? Now, obviously, some of us probably could use fasting two times a week. But most of us don't. They would give, they would pray, they would wear certain clothes that set them apart from everyone else. They would wash their hands and not just wash their hands, but wash them in a certain way. They would keep the law. Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved. Nicodemus was a Pharisee before he got saved. I mean, the Pharisees, it has a bad connotation now because Jesus made it clear they were, they were white on the outside or clean on the outside, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. But it would be, the Pharisees were like the seal team six of religion, of the Jewish religion. I mean, they were like, that's the standard. And we're so far down here, we could never reach that standard. And the Pharisees knew this, and the people that weren't Pharisees knew this. Jesus said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You're not going to get in heaven. Paul said this way as a testimony in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, touching the righteousness which was in the law. I was blameless. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yeah, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ and be found in him, hear it, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of faith in Jesus Christ. 
So how do you get a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Only through faith in Christ's righteousness. You've got to acknowledge your righteous rags and your best morals as filthy rags. That word filthy rags describing our righteousness literally is describing bandages that would go over open pussy flowing sores. And they would take those bandages, put them in a trash can, and wrap it with new bandages. And after those wore out, they would unwrap them and put them in that trash can full of open, pussy sores that had oozed out on a bandage. That's what God describes our righteousness without Jesus Christ. And when you acknowledge, I'm guilty before God, I'm not good, I'm bad, I'm not okay. The Bible says the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. I was on a plane years ago and there was a man seated next to me with a beard, cut off jeans and a t-shirt. I said, what do you do for a living? He said, well, sometimes I'm a dentist. He said, sometimes I'm a plumber. He said, sometimes I'm a contractor. I said, what do you really do? He said, I'm an undercover police officer for the police force in northern Minnesota. He said, I can't be a lawyer or a doctor. He said, I betray confidence all the time. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I set up like I'm a, a big time criminal and I find out where the jobs are going down and I get in touch with the big time criminals and I, I make like I want a piece of the pie. Then I'll get them to come meet with me and I'll have video surveillance and audio surveillance and I get them to tell their plan and tell them what I can do for them and how I can be a part of it and I'll get them all on video and all on audio surveillance and I'll nail them. I said, wow. We talked for a little bit. I said, what do you enjoy most about your job? He said, we thought about it. He said, I enjoy most about my job watching high profile criminals stand before the judge and plead guilty because he knows the evidence that I've compiled against him is too great to deny. I said, interesting. I said, that's what I enjoy most about my job. <laughs> you see, if you, as a, if you as an unbeliever will just admit I'm a guilty sinner, you're halfway there. The Bible says the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so Job knew this. Job said, I, I know that I, my redeemer liveth. I need a redeemer because I'm a sinner and I'm not just, I've not just sinned once or twice. That would be bad enough and would keep me from heaven, but I'm bound by sin and I'm in the chains of sin. I'm in the shackles of sin. I'm on the inside looking out through the bars and I need a redeemer. I need somebody to buy me out of the slave market of sin. Oh, riches one time stood uh, uh, as I stood on an auction block and raised his ring studded fingers and said I bid riches for that young man someone stood with glasses down on the end of his nose and said I bid knowledge for that young man someone stood and said I bid popularity for that young man then the whole room stopped when a man in the back stood that was stranger he was a stranger hard to look on he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he raised his hand and it had a nail print in his hand he said I don't bid riches or knowledge or wealth or popularity or pleasure he he said, I bid my precious blood for that young man. And when I trusted Jesus Christ, he broke the shackles of sin. He broke the chains. He set me free and made me his own. I need a redeemer. Job said, I know that I need a redeemer. I need a redeemer because I'm a sinner. What else did he know? He says, I know that my redeemer liveth. He knew that he was a sinner in need of a redeemer. He knew that he needed a redeemer and, and that that redeemer was alive. Number two, my redeemer liveth. Now, this is years before Jesus Christ would physically walk on this earth as, as the God man. 
And he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. My Redeemer is alive. He's not a God. I was walking through the cemetery and looking at all these saints on top of these cemetery plots. And I thought, what a tragedy that people will come and worship these saints and go to churches and worship these saints that can do absolutely nothing for them. He said, my Redeemer liveth. I was on a train one time, 2010 in Italy, and there was a, a man seated next to me, and the missionary was right across the way. We'd just gotten there to Italy, hadn't been there very long. And I said to him, I, I said to this missionary, I said, translate for me. And I introduced myself as Dwight Smith. This man's name was Francesco, and he had his, his, his girlfriend there, Giovanna. They had come to Rome from Sicily for a soccer match. And uh, they were on their way back home. And I said, uh, I said, sir, do you, have a, do you have a ticket to be on this train? Kind of looked at me and said, well, yes, of course I do. I'm right here in my hand. I said, are, are you sure everything's good with it? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I said, we're on the way to hell without Jesus Christ, going completely opposite of God and of good. And I said, that train track is someday going to abruptly end and we're going to plunge headlong into eternal fire. This is all being translated by the missionary. I said, there's only one thing that can get us on the opposite track, going the opposite way, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, he said to me, he said, well, you know, he said, the, the saints, he said, they intercede for us. And I said, no, sir. I said, the saints can't do anything for you. I said, if you die without Jesus Christ trusting in the saints, you'll go straight to hell. I said, he's the only one. Well, in Europe, when you get a ticket, you need to put it in a little machine, and it'll stamp that ticket right before you get on the train. So the conductor came by and he's checking people's tickets and, 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 and verifying that they're legitimate. And uh, he gets my ticket, verifies that it's legitimate, and he starts talking to Francesco. And I don't know what they're saying because it's Italian, but they're going back and forth. And you can tell there's a heated argument that's growing ever increasingly more intense. And, and uh, I said, Psst, hey, Frank, Frankie, the missionary, I said, what, what's going on? He said, well, he got his ticket online, but he forgot to verify it before he got on the train. And, and, uh, and, and now he's trying to get out of it. And the conductor says, no, you got to pay the fine. I just gave a guy a fine for not even having a ticket. Now you're going to have to pay a fine. And I started to slip down in my seat. I didn't know anything about all that, but here the Lord did. And, and I said, hey, I said, Frank, I said, let's pay his fine. He said, he said, yeah, that's a good idea. He said, you can spot me some money. I said, yeah. And, and I said, let's pay his fine. So we said, Francesco, we're going to pay your fine. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'll pay my own fine. And uh, he said, we said, no, we're going to pay your fine. We want you to see that Jesus paid your fine on the cross of Calvary. And his girlfriend said, this kind of kindness does not exist. Well, we paid his fine. The conductor didn't care who paid it. And so we, we paid his fine. And when we got off that train, he was absolutely quiet. We went into the elevator to go to the parking garage. He was absolutely quiet. He didn't get saved, but we kept in contact with him for quite some time. And he had a visual object lesson of what Jesus did. He redeemed them and save them. And he's a living redeemer. He's not dead. He's a living redeemer. He said, I know that my redeemer liveth quickly. Notice what he says. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So he knew that he was in need of a redeemer because of his sin. He knew that his redeemer was alive and he knew that he would stand in the latter day upon the earth. On this earth. He's, we're talking about resurrection power. We're talking about Jesus being alive and walking on this earth. We're talking about Jesus being alive long after and even after 2022 
and standing in the latter day. He's talking about something in the future. Job's speaking about it without a pastor, without a church, without a missionary, without a gospel tract. He knows, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He knows he's a sinner in need of a Redeemer, that his Redeemer is alive, and that someday Jesus is going to stand on the, the, the earth. Verse number 26, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, he knows that he's going to die someday. He knows that. Someday you're going to die. Do you know how you're going to die? No. Now, you probably have a preference. I have a preference. I don't want to die by getting hit by a Mack truck head on. I'd rather not. I don't want to die by bungee jumping off of a 100-foot cliff with a 101-foot cord. I'd rather not. I kind of have some sense about those things, you know. But I don't know how I'm going to die, and I don't know when I'm going to die. But I know that I'm going to die. Don't you think it'd be the better part of wisdom since you don't know how and you don't know when to get ready beforehand? Because once you breathe your last breath, there's no getting ready. There's no redoing it. There's no instant replay. There's no uh, backtracking and, and, and saying, okay, I, I realize it's all true. No, you got to believe it's true ahead of time. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, body yet in my flesh shall I see God. So what's he talking about there? He's going to die. He's got body's going to be put in the grave. The skin worms are going to eat him all up. But someday in his flesh, he's going to see God. What's he talking about? He knows that he's going to rise again and see Jesus face to face in his own body. Wow. And this is awesome. And when, pray tell, does Job say, I know? Not in a Sunday night service or in the middle of a revival meeting when the choir has gotten done and the youth choir has just gotten done saying, I know that my name is written there. No, 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 no. It's after he's lost all his kids. All his assets. The time when most people would question everything. Job said, well, I don't know about a lot of things. And I certainly don't know what you friends are saying. But I know one thing. My Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Certainty in the midst of uncertainty. Quickly, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to tell you about these things and then I want to show you how you can know. I want you to see it tonight. I don't want you to miss it tonight. I want everybody in this room and everybody listening to the sound of my voice. I want them to know that they know that they know they're going to heaven. I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And you can too. Now look at 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Almost to the end of the Bible. Almost to the book of Revelation. You'll find this precious little book. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice please verse number 12. Paul says in verse number 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. Whereunto. What is he talking about? Unto what? The gospel. Is in the verse before it. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. And an apostle. And a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Watch it. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Wow. He says, I'm appointed unto the gospel. A preacher of the gospel and an apostle that's a messenger giving a message and a, and a teacher of the Gentiles I'm going to those that don't know Christ and that's what I've been appointed to and for the which cause what for being a preacher and a teacher and apostle and a preacher appointed under the gospel it's for these things that I'm in bonds and that I suffer for the which cause I also suffer these things what things well when Paul wrote Timothy 
he was in the Mamertine prison. I mentioned this earlier. If you want to know what the Mamertine prison is like, just go to a storm grate or a, a, a great big manhole here in Baltimore and jerk it open and crawl down in and light a candle and you'll be real close to what the Mamertine prison is like. Dark, dirty, uh, musty, not a place where you would thrive in good health. He would have prison guards watching him constantly as if he were a serious, very serious criminal. All the while he'd appealed to speak to Rome and speak to, to, to Caesar. He wanted to, to appeal a discrepancy of the law because he was a Roman citizen and, and, and he was appealing. And so now he's in prison in Rome and he writes the, Philippian, the book of Philippians at a time of, of great suffering. And he writes this book, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I don't know if anybody here has ever been put in a place like that because you're a preacher. Because you believe the gospel? Because you've tried to be, to, to, to be sharing the gospel and giving the gospel? But Paul had. And Paul said, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He told others, don't be ashamed of my bonds. I'm not ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed. And he said, I'm especially not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm not ashamed. He said, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed Amen. and am persuaded. I mean, it would be enough that he would say, I'm not ashamed. But he doesn't just say, I'm not ashamed. He says, I know whom I have believed. What did he know? He knew that he had believed on Jesus Christ and that was enough. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We don't believe that you, you believe in Jesus and. You believe in Jesus and you try hard. You believe in Jesus and if you fall well, you're probably gonna have to redo it and believe again because it didn't work the first time. We don't believe that you get saved by promising to, to be good or by being good after you get saved. We believe that Jesus' goodness is enough. What he did when he died on the cross was he fulfilled God's exact payment necessary for my sin to be paid for. And we believe that Jesus' blood is enough, that his death, burial, and resurrection is enough, that you can't add anything to or take away from what Jesus did. And he says, I know. I'm not ashamed. I'm here on, on purpose. God has put me here, and it's okay. I'm not ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. I'm definitely not ashamed of the gospel. Then he says, I know whom I have believed. I've trusted in Jesus. There's no doubt. He'd seen him after Jesus had raised from the dead and spent time with him in the Arabian desert. He, he said, I, I can't even speak exactly of what happened. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. <laughs> he said, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. How do you like that for dogmatic? How do you like that for certain? He says, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see, we don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe in the preservation of the saints. We believe that we're kept by the power of God. We believe that he is the one that preserves us, that he is able to keep us from falling, that he's going to keep that which we've committed unto him. That's why the songwriter wrote, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I I've committed unto him against that day. That came from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Someday I'm going to see him. I'm unashamed. I'm absolutely convinced, and I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded. You know what Paul was saying? Same thing Job was saying. I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, and you can too. Now, let me say, if you're here tonight and you're saved, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but the devil comes knocking on your door with doubts, don't answer that door. Right. Right. 
and don't argue with the devil. He'll out-argue you every time. He's smarter than you are. He, 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 he'll out-logic you. He'll outwit you every time. If you have met the condition for salvation, which is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, a decision of repentance and faith, you, you change your mind about who you are and who he is, and you believe. You believe on Jesus Christ. If you met that condition, you're saved. And you don't need to doubt and wonder and worry and be uncertain and listen to the devil and say, well, this preacher was a strong preacher and I just get a little afraid when he starts preaching on hell. When you hear preaching on hell, if, if, if you have a, a more of an analytical personality or more emotional, it, don't, you don't need to be afraid. You need to say, thank God I'm not going. Somebody preaches on the rapture, preaches on the second coming of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, this tribulation stuff scares me. It shouldn't scare you. It should motivate you to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. You should say more than ever. I know now and I trusted Jesus Christ. Now, don't let the devil get a wedge in between you and the Lord and try to uh, disrupt. You see, before a person's saved, the devil wants to tell them they're not saved and they need to get that they don't need to get saved. Don't listen to the little blonde-headed midget from North Carolina. Don't listen to Brother Shiflet when he preaches. Don't listen to these preachers telling you need to be born again. You don't need to be born again. After you get saved, what does the devil say? Ah! Oh! Look what you just said. Look what you just did. You know, the better part of my judgment is you probably need to get saved. When, when did the devil get interested in people getting saved? After they got saved? To disrupt their foundation? When did the devil get interested in soul winning? After a person gets saved, trying to convince them that whatever they got in the first place wasn't real and that they should doubt on every twist and turn? You're not saved, or you're not saved by promising to do good before and keeping the rules after. That, that is an entirely different issue. Let me ask you what would happen if Lot came to you tonight. And he said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. And I said, well, why, why don't you know? Well, I wasted a whole bunch of years in Sodom. It's a pathetic mess. I had no influence over my wife to keep her from turning back. She's crystallized into a pillar of salt. Lost all three daughters and my sons-in-law in Sodom. My two daughters whew, disgraced me in a cave outside of, outside of in the mountains. I don't know if I'm saved. You know what we might say? Yeah. I'm not so sure myself. And we, we, would, we would look at his life and we would say that. But you know what God says? He was a just and a righteous man and he vexed his righteous soul. So what would your advice be? Well, Lot, I think you need to pray again just to be sure. Would that help Lot? Would that give him assurance? Would that help him become a better Christian? Not at all. It would just confuse him. Now, does Lot have something he needs to address? Sure he does. Does he have some sin that he needs to confess and forsake? Absolutely. Does he need to, are there some things he needs to get right? Yes, but praying again is not his solution. What he needs to do is get right, acknowledge the sin, look in the mirror and tell the Lord he's a dirty, rotten bum. He's been wasting his life and ruined and lost his family and then get right with God. But he doesn't need to pray again as if that's the, the fix-all and as if he'll never sin again after he prays again. doesn't work that way. Paul said, I know. Quickly turn to 1 John and we're done. 1 John, quickly. Right before you get to Revelation, you'll find 1 John. Quickly, I want you to see this. And then I want to explain how you can know. 1 John chapter 5. Quickly, look at what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 5. And notice what it says in verse 9. It says, if we receive the witness of men, by the way, we do all the time. 
Somebody says there was a shooting down at such and such a block in such a corner of Chicago and 8th. So how do you know? Well, I saw it on the news. Oh, well, then it must be true. <laughs> right? The news. <laughs> if we receive the witness of men, they say, the, the Biden, he's got COVID. Oh, how do you know? I, I saw it on the news. Oh, well, then it must be true. <laughs> right? We receive the witness of men all day long. But he says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. What's the witness of God? Verse number nine. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He that, hath the, he that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. It's not in church. It's not in ritual. It's not in baptism or confirmation or catechism or the Eucharist or any of that. It's not being in a good Baptist or being a good Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Jew or Hindu or, or, or Muslim or Buddhist. It's not any of that. He says in verse number 11, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. It's that simple. Then look at what he says in verse John 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. All right, so Job, all the way back in Job 19, without a Bible, without a church, without a track, without a missionary, without a preacher, understands the revelation that God's given him and knows, says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall, shall I see God. And now, now, now Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in prison, in the Mamertine prison, says, I, I, I know whom I have believed. I'm, I'm not ashamed that I know and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And now Job... John, in, in 1 John chapter 5, under inspiration, says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. Yes, Do you get the idea that these men had certainty about them? Do you get the idea that they wanted those who listened to them and read their words? These were God's words, of course. Do you get the idea that they, they wanted them to be absolutely rock-solid certain? Paul said, I know that I know that I know. Job said, I know that I know that I know. And now John says, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And you can too. And, 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 and what's the context to John? The context of Gnosticism. You say, what's that? Well, it was an idea and a thought that was about, that by the way, is still about today, that says, you can't know anything. There are no absolutes. Is there anybody here that's heard that? Now, Gnosticism goes a little bit deeper and is a little bit more sinister than that, but it's still today. You can look it up and find it. There are people that teach it even right now, and they're full of baloney. They're full of baloney. There's a Hebrew word. There's a Hebrew word for Gnosticism. That's what it is. It's absolute, pure, unadulterated baloney. It's not going to help you. It's going to lead you to hell. It's going to take you away from God. It's not going to give a settledness in your soul. It's not going to guide you into truth. It's not going to help your family. No, it's going to lead you into all kinds of uncertainty. But in the midst of that uncertainty where people say, well, you can't know this and you can't know that. And you can't know the other thing and you can't know this. God says, I've written these things to you so that you might know. Amen. You can be absolutely certain. When you put your head on your pillow at night, you can know for a fact. You say, how? All right. You acknowledge that you're a sinner who is headed to hell, a hell that you deserve. 
Now listen to me. God didn't make hell for you. He made it for the devil and his angels. But because you and I have broken his law, there should be a penalty, and that penalty is hell. It's not heaven. The penalty for breaking God's law is not heaven. And God's not going to let anybody into heaven that's not settled their sin problem, not come to Jesus and been born again. You acknowledge your sin and that you're headed to hell and that there's only one person that has the authority and the ability to save you. And his name is Jesus Christ. I don't have the authority and the ability to save you. Pastor Shiflett, good a man as he is, he doesn't have the authority and the ability to save you. God's not going to share his glory with you or me on salvation He's not going to do it. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to another. Amen. So hear it. You must come to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you're the only, I need a Savior because I'm a guilty sinner. And you're the only one that can be my Savior. I want you to save me. Lord Jesus, save me. And when you call upon the Lord and ask him to save you, instantly, supernaturally, miraculously, permanently, eternally, he saves you. Amen. He did it for me when I was just a boy. He's done it for dozens in this room and hundreds in this part of the world. And millions that have come to him have, tr have trusted in him and he's been saved. There's never been a sinner that's come to Jesus and been turned away. And you won't be the first. In just a minute or two, I'm going to give everybody here that doesn't know Christ an opportunity to be saved. And you can take that opportunity and be saved. And I plead with you. If I could talk to you personally, I would plead with you even more than I'm pleading right now. That you would be saved. That you would not, if you came, not sure that you're saved came not knowing that you're saved I would plead with you to trust in Jesus Christ I would beg of you I'd grab your hand and say please don't die and go to hell please don't rush out of here lost please don't put your head on your pillow without calling on Jesus Christ tonight you can be saved tonight if you're not saved God brought you here so that you can be saved and you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven I would say to you if you're saved and you've been doubting or struggling with the lack of assurance you stop all that let the winds time take it away and let the word of God settle you and establish you and strengthen you and put your roots down deep in him and grow up into him and bear fruit in him and don't listen to the whispers of the devil. He doesn't know, he's not a theologian. He's not, uh, he's not gonna give you assurance. He's gonna lead you down a wrong and wicked path. I plead with you, stop your doubting because if you're saved and you're doubting, you're just you're exactly where the devil wants you. He can't keep you from going to heaven, but he's going to try to keep you from thinking that you're going to heaven. He's going to try to get you all awash in confusion and doubt and worry, and it just needs to stop. It's no more complicated than that. You say, well, I just think, well, I, I don't know. Well, I just, hey, stop. You're not saved based on your analysis of things. You're saved based on his analysis. And the one who has given the greatest analysis ever given has settled if, settled if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he saved you. It's no more difficult than that. I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And you can too. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord Jesus, we know the devil is always trying to stir up doubt amongst God's people, those who know, trying to get them to question what they have, trying to get them to be uncertain, trying to live in fear and confusion instead of the blessed assurance that you've provided and promised. And we know he's always afoot trying to get people that aren't saved to think that they're okay, they're good, they, they got plenty of time, they've probably already got it settled because they've been a good person or religious. Lord, help them to see tonight they're lost. And I pray that those who are lost would cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm headed to hell and I need a savior. And only you qualify as someone who can give me salvation. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to ask how many of you would say, Brother Dwight, I'm saved, but honestly, the devil's been swirling around my heart and mind, trying to make me think I'm not, trying to make me think I doubt, and I don't have what he's already given me. And, and I just want to come to him tonight and thank him for saving me. And I'm going to leave thanking him instead of wondering whether or not he's mine and I'm his. You said, preacher, that's me. I'm saved. But the devil's been trying to get me to doubt. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty and transparency. So preacher, pray for me. Anybody else? The devil's trying to get me to doubt what I have. I know I trusted him. Long time ago, I called upon him and he saved me. Anybody else? You said, preacher, I've just been doubting and the devil's been just on me. Question number two, how many of you would say, Brother Smith, there are certain things I don't know, but there's one thing for sure that I do know, I've been saved. If I died now or if I died five years from now, I'm saved, I'm safe, I've trusted Jesus and I'm going to heaven, not hell. If you can say that as a testimony to Jesus, would you lift your hand up high and join those that have already raised their hand? Wonderful. You may put your hands down. I wonder, is there anybody here tonight that'd say, Brother Dwight, I don't know. I wish I knew. I want to know. I'd like to know, but I don't know where I'm going when I die. I wish I could say like Job, I know. I wish I could say like Paul and like John, I know. But I can't say that at this very moment. And I'd like to know, would you pray that tonight I would settle it and get it taken care of? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I'll not embarrass you or call you by name. I don't even know your name. But I'd like to be able to pray for you and just mention you to the Lord. Is there anybody here like that? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I just want to pray for you and mostly pray with you that you'd get this matter settled. Anyone, young or old, man or woman, it's a preacher, pray for me. I couldn't raise my hand just now. I don't know that I'm saved, but I sure need to and I want to. Anybody? Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open. Maybe there's somebody that you know that's struggling or that doesn't know for sure. Would you, would you pray?